Big Sky, Big Potential. In association with Mills and Reeve, this is Eastern Promise. Achieving more together. Welcome to the podcast that explores the full potential of the East of England. Putting a spotlight on star players in the UK's most exciting region. And on episode 82 of the Eastern Promise podcast, we rejoin our series looking at how professional sports clubs support their communities. This week, we're in Cambridge to meet with Vicky Neal, head of the Cambridge United Foundation. We'll join the foundation at the Galfred School in northwest Cambridge, seeing how the stark inequality in the city of Cambridge is being tackled by Vicky and her team. No red cards required. And finally, the season of mists and mellow fruitfulness is here. So let's find out where you experience the windfall wonder of autumn with some crowd sorcery. Earlier this year, Eastern Promise visited Norwich City Community Sports Foundation, discovering the work they're doing, supporting their community in the fine city and beyond. It was thoroughly enjoyable to visit the Nest near Norwich Airport and to learn about the work the Canaries' official charity is doing. However, they are very much not the only game in town. After my visit to the Nest, Cambridge United's head of foundation, Vicky Neal, reached out and invited us to come and see the work that the U's are doing in some of the most deprived wards in one of the most unequal cities, not just in our region, but in the UK itself. Their approach to tackling this inequality is informed by one of the clearest and most dynamic strategies I have ever encountered. It was therefore fascinating to turn up at the Galfred School in northwest Cambridge to meet with Vicky and her team, who are in the midst of running a half club, that's holiday activities and food. And I was not alone, as I had Andrew Dubok, expert and friend, in tow. We're here at the Galfred School in Cambridge with Vicky Neal, head of the Cambridge United Community Foundation. And I've got another special guest with me here. Who is? Uh, I'm Andrew Dubok. And we know each other from where? Uh, a long time ago. Oh, we're a long time ago. Yeah, we're going back ago. 30 years, aren't okay. we now? Okay, yeah, maybe we'll stop there. As I am to football, yeah. what a garden gnome is to astrophysics, you're here as my resident expert and long-suffering season ticket holder of, a, of, a, of which team is it? Well, it's Coventry City. So, oh, okay, well, yeah. well, 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 that's the last time we shall... We, shall we won't mention them again. Vicky, thank you very much for inviting us to come and see the work that the Cambridge United Football Club Foundation do. We've seen a lot of it here at the Garfield School already. You're running a half club, is that correct? A half camp, yeah. Holiday camp, activity sorry. and food camp, that's right. So, so tell us a bit about those. Yeah, that was great that you've managed to come here and see our very local school, so you know it's a minute from the stadium. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're really trying to engage the young people here. They can be inspired by their local football club, 
um, a, a school that's got a, a large population of kids on free school meals. So putting on a camp in the school they're familiar and access for free. Um, they're with us every morning for two weeks. So they were here all of last week and this oh, week. Wow. And they get a hot, hot meal with us just before they go home. Um, yeah, so they've got those kind of positive holiday experiences that they perhaps aren't getting in the summer that other kids are. So. I think coming here, it really shines a light on something that I, I often gloss over on the podcast, which is I, and you enjoy moving around all the, the nice shiny bits of Cambridge, all the big bits that are, you know, all the tech and meeting all the meeting all the movers and shakers, and you actually see the inequality that you know we were looking at strategy earlier, the inequality that is so unfortunately so deeply rooted in Cambridge between the, the shining spires and the and, and this bit which is urban Cambridge yeah but actually it, it's it's obviously a school in a poorer area you, you said the number of kids on school meals how important is, is it to, for Cambridge United Foundation to engage in these places yeah I think we're in a quite a unique position for this Abbey Stadium to be in the Abbey Ward which is in yeah. that top 20% of most deprived wards in the country um, there is a differentiation of lifespan between those living in Abbey and can live like over 10 years less than those living in sort of other areas of Cambridge like Newnham area so yeah we've got like a passion and a responsibility to use that platform of engaging whether it's young people or some of the seniors or making the fans aware of the differentiation so I think the football club and the foundation see it as our responsibility not only as a passion of ours to make people aware and support those in need. And if you weren't doing it, who would be doing it? <laughs> well, that's it. Well, that's it. Yeah. Lots of different, we work in partnership, as I'm sure lots of other community foundations do. We can't do all these things on our own. We've got um, Abbey people who work really closely with, that know the families better than we do. So they also do work in the school and often partner with these kind of things with us. Um, they've done some upskilling of volunteers and things like that because, yeah, they know not only the kids, they know the parents. And if we've got a safeguarding concern, we can reach out to them and work closely with them and... Yeah, lots of our work is done in partnership because we don't have all the skill sets. Yes, we work with lots of seniors and young people and schools, but we need to be leaning on those people that are specialists in those areas. I think what's really impressed us, and we, as we were talking before, uh, your strategy, which is currently coming to an end, and you can, we can talk about that more in a minute, how you're replacing that and, and taking the work forward. But what really impressed Andrew and myself was the level of detail that we've not, not really seen elsewhere. I mean, lots of clubs, I mean, uh, where I grew up, North, Northampton Town, for example, Bolton, uh, in the same league, but the depth of information, the, the clarity of the model, the really clear laying out of what you wanted to do, how you were going to do it, the resources you have to call upon to do it, mm. and where you expect to be if everything works out. There was a level of honesty, there was a level of frankness that actually blew us both away. A, how did you come up with such a, <laughs> a, such a brilliant document? And B, how are you going to top it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my um, challenge for sort of 2024. I think what you've said there is it's quite clear. So we're working in three really key areas of Cambridge. So Abbey Wards, North Cambridge and Trumpington. So whether that is with the young people or seniors or tackling isolation or mental health, we're really targeting those areas because it's a risk of... Yes, we work closely with Peterborough Foundation, but even Cambridge itself is massive. We can't make that deep impact in loads and loads of areas. So I think what I really liked about our strategy, the one that's coming to an end, is we were really targeted in our work. We measured it, like you said. So we worked with Evid ID to do that, those theories of change. He then also worked with us 
2021-22 to do an impact report to check we are making those differences. And it's way more important to make differences to individuals than have 80 people come into a lunch. It's really important to have, are they feeling more connected to their community? Is their mental health improving? One of my favourite stats is that 26% reduction in anxiety if they're engaged with our programmes for three months or more. Really? But you, we have to measure that, and you don't realise that those weekly or monthly contacts do make that huge impact on individuals. And, yeah, that's the bit that I'm really proud of from the strategy that's gone is, yes, it was really clear and targeted. We've measured it. This is the evidence. Right, we've got, kick, we've got to kick on now and do similar and hopefully grow it in the strategy coming up. That document is going to be is currently now my go-to for any reference of how to do it. Yeah. I mean, I've got lots of wild ideas, but that's the document I'm going to reach for and say, how was this done? How you've put it together? And what is that flow across your, the four areas you were working on, which were community engagement, education and skills, inclusion and well-being? And just talk to me about how those are going to change, because you, you, you were mentioning earlier that you're going to narrow We're just in the school classrooms getting redone. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, talk to me about how you're going to narrow that focus down. Yeah, we have moved from being a community trust to a foundation uh, over the last three months. Perhaps so. so I took over as head of foundation in January. I've worked here two years prior to that as sort of head of operations. My background in well-being. <clears throat> I was actually an SEN school teacher prior to that. So kind of you can see how my passion for making a difference yeah. to those that have had barriers to accessing mainstream activity kind of grew and then I saw this um, opportunity come and then I joined just as COVID was having the second wave so lots of the staff had to be on um, not leave what was it called then furlough, furlough that was it so, whereas because I was so new I had to do everything which was like really overwhelming but actually gave me a huge like exposure to all the different areas of the, found the club no this community trust I'm now flitting between the two um, so it was really good to go through that whole process with the couple of member staffs that were working because we obviously still wanted to make that impact. The players weren't particularly playing, so they came and got involved in a lot of the community work and it was just really, really positive from our, from our point of view because we were really sort of highlighted as being in the community. Yes, the football club is key on a Saturday afternoon, but actually throughout the week, do you know the community trust is doing this every month? Do you know they're doing this in the schools? They're doing this. So, yeah, I think it was really, really good to have a strategy and an impact that's demonstrated that and it's sort of my responsibility now as head having been through all of that to continue that work make it really clear what we're about and who we are because yes you guys now have a really good understanding but that's because you've taken that interest how can I communicate that to even the fan base when they come every well every Saturday they're looking at Twitter they're coming to the games how can I get them aware of what's going on at their football club how can I get other people in the local Cambridge area, businesses, aware of what we're doing? Yeah. Can they support in any way? Can they, whether that's volunteering, whether that's financial, whatever that support looks like, that's how we're going to grow and develop, and that's a huge part of the strategy moving forward. Well, I happen to know the uh, new Chief Executive of Cambridge Ahead, which is a, there's a membership body for a lot of the huge companies and colleges in Cambridge, yeah. is a season ticket holder. Yeah. And when I, I recently, um, last week's episode, not last week, yes, last week's episode, or, no, the week before, big pardon. The week before when I, I did a foot tour and an interview with the director of Cambridge Science Park and I mentioned I was coming there, her first words were, they've got a great story to tell. 
So it's really, really great to be here. So, so you're getting out there. Yeah. Once um, people know, they love it and they tell people. Yeah. So it is that making sure that I'm out there telling it, telling our story through the participants. That's the strongest way we can do it. Yeah. And then word of mouth, like you, you guys will now go and tell our story to other people. Yeah. So. And what, what benefit is it for the, the kind of football side of things as well, if you know what I mean? How does it, does it work both ways, the community back to the football club? Yeah, I don't know which other football clubs you've been to, but we do work really, really closely as a football club and foundation. We are separate organisations, separate boards, separate finances. But the CEO of the football club, Alex Tunbridge, was previously um, CEO of Stevenage Foundation. And he, I think he was really early doors setting that up, bag of balls, balls on his shoulder, community coach, to foundation head, to football club CEO here at Cambridge. So that means he's, he's got a great story and a great understanding of what the coaches you just saw coming here are doing and why. So I don't have to sell it. I don't have to sell to the football yeah. club, which is huge. The board are on, are on board. We've got three of our board members are also on the club board. That's a, that's a huge starting point. Yeah. Lots of other football clubs don't have that understanding. So I, th yeah. I think it's really key that that's there to start with. So kind of like I was saying, now it's other members of staff, so the media team, can they work with us and be like, actually, the good PR that the club gets by, do you know the community trust are doing a dementia cafe once a month? Do bring you anyone that you might know that wants to come along there. Or oh, do you know there's a holiday camp down the road? I think the club do know the positive impact that we have on them and what we can do for support for them. And yeah, obviously the football club got a huge reach for us as well. So it's really nice. This is the only football club I've worked in, so I don't know what it's like. I hear from other people, but it's so nice to be in one that is super transparent and on the same page. And that's from, yeah, board to trying to get it to fans, yeah. basically. It's, it's, it's the level of accountability you've mm. offered yourself up to. It's yeah. really striking. And what's also, uh, you know, interesting is, I don't think it's necessarily it needs to be in the dimension, but I said earlier that you, you, you basically, you and Norwich City have got that focus on dimension in common that isn't, lots of football clubs with community trusts and community foundations and look at different, op, different things, but it's just that strand of, of, of uh, looking at dementia that when I visited the Nest, which is Norwich City's foundation HQ up at the, near the airport in Norwich, they actually had what they call it Duncan's calf after a, a calf after a player, from a player who had dementia. But they had music on, um, they've got people in reading old programmes from, from younger days. That's it. Is, is, is that very similar to how you do it? That's the idea, yeah. So our Forever United programme is what we call our seniors work. So that is from the Dementia Cafe to Seniors Lunch, which will be happening this week, once a month to wellbeing walks, walking football, super vets, strength and balance classes. We've got a big support system for seniors to make contact. I think what I said about partnerships before, I don't know if we were recording at that point, was how key it is to lean on people with those specialisms. So the Dementia Cafe kind of came about when we were like, oh, we've got lots of seniors and we have sort of noticing some people struggling or they come to the seniors lunch and someone at home has got dementia and they're not sure how to engage them in social activities. So even pre-COVID, I know we were doing a little bit around it, but um, Dementia Compass have partnered with us on our Dementia Cafe that we call Forever United by Memories, which I think is really nice, which is um, that she comes and works with um, Jake, who leads on it, and do deliver monthly sessions, which are having a topic that they can follow along and just chat about their memories. And 
I can't do it. Ian Darla, who's at the ground, uh, our head groundsman at the football club, just loves coming to that and supporting voluntarily because he's just like, when they remember something from 1964, the football club that they and the partner sees them remember something that they haven't been able to like relate to for days, weeks, months. It's just that like light bulb moment. Like it, that is like a, yeah, real, real buzz for our staff. And that's why we do what we do because it makes that impact for that one individual having a better time that day. And also the support, like the carer that comes as well, that you just can't get better than that. <laughs> Can I ask you to reflect on something and then I'll ask Andrew to do the same? Sure. Like, this might seem like a, little, a bit of a, a mean question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Is it easier for a football club the size and, to put it bluntly, the league position of Cambridge United to be closer to a community than, say, uh, a Premier League club that's that bit more guarded about its media profile and that is, is a bit more guarded in access because they feel they have to be. Is it easier for you or is it just simply, this is our ethos and we're going to run with it wherever we are? Yeah. I can only speak, like I said, I've only been at this football club. I have got quite a few networks in the community organisations and there are some pros and cons to being in a small community organisation. And I would say I really like it. You're, we have our offices at the football club, so we are rubbing shoulders with the commercial team, the media team, the manager. Like We can go to the training ground to have meetings and the players are there. It's a lot more accessible, like you're saying, whereas I should imagine on bigger community organisations, they're so separate. It's a lot harder to get that the players to come down perhaps or um, to have that sort of close-knit relationship with the football club. I might be wrong, but that's, yeah, my, my view. I would probably echo that, but <laughs> I would say that th there is that reciprocal of a buzz around the place mm. that would grow and that can rub off on the field and the way the supporters are and the supporter and club relations and with all the community stuff you do in. <laughs> You go up a few leagues, you, you've already got that foundation, that base. So you, I don't think that would ever be lost here. You know, you got, got to the championship, yeah. whatever. And, and, and I think that could, could definitely be there. But um, Yeah, I think I agree with yeah. that, actually. Getting the foundation right now yeah. at this level, yeah. hopefully we grow together. Definitely. So, yeah, we're still giving the messages to fans. We're still yeah, on the same page. So, yeah, I would it, hope that's It's got to be a win-win, hasn't it, and, yeah. and, and, uh, all around. So um, I live near Oxford and, and Oxford United. Um, so... Um, I've got a, a daughter with Down syndrome. Mike has a, a daughter with special needs as well. So we've definitely got interest in inclusion. And, mm. um, and my daughter, Hannah, has got involved in a Down syndrome football okay. at Oxford United. So I've, yeah, seen, I've seen the difference that makes. Yeah. Similar size club. And yes, they get players along as well. So I think, um, yeah, I've seen, that. I've seen that firsthand with my own, my own family as well, which is, which is really great. I wanted to actually touch on inclusion, if that's all yes, right. Just, because we've, right. we've obviously got a personal interest and you talk to yourself as well. Yeah, that was my background as well. Yeah, yeah what you were saying about your, your, your SEN teacher thing. What does that look like now? And what do you hope it will be like next year in terms of what inclusion might be with, with this project? Yeah, so the strategy that's in place at the moment has got inclusion as its own strand. I think that's always been such a strong delivery area of ours. We always put such a diverse delivery programme on for individuals with Down syndrome, power chair, frame. We've got under eights up to adult learning disabilities, autism specific. We've got lots of sessions that we've always delivered. So we were like, that needs a strand in its own. And actually, we had lots of discussion around what inclusion actually means. Uh, is LGBTQ plus an inclusion or is that under wellbeing? Because actually, we're trying to include all of these groups to feel able to access sport. 
So actually, the decision has been to move forward as a foundation for this coming strategy is inclusion is going to be involved across all three strands, whether that's in schools, our staff need to be aware that actually they're teaching uh, active science lesson, for example, oh, and there's somebody that's deaf. Oh, do you know that, do you play football? Oh, no, I really like it, though. Oh, you know, we've got a deaf session that we run. Just having that whole awareness piece across the foundation and the staff and hopefully in the strategy, we just hope that that intertwines that in actually being inclusive, if you know what I mean, rather than having it, well, this staff deal with inclusion and these deal with the rest of it. We really want it to be. Do you know what? Having a dementia cafe is inclusive. Um, yeah. Supporting members of the community that are five up to... Simon Wall's dad is 90. I think he's our oldest walking footballer. Like, that walking football's inclusive. So, yeah, for us, as we've developed the strategy since the one we released previously, I think inclusion, inclusion is everything. The same as safe, like safeguarding is, like, and sustainability. That, for us, is all in there. Yeah, I think in a city like Cambridge as well, that uh, those, are, those are all things that I think would, would underpin the huge level of support. You've only got to look at that document the vast, the blistering array of logos in the inside, mm. in, uh, uh, in that document of people who are sort of supporting you from, you know, AstraZeneca, um, uh, you know, Network Rail is another one that springs to mind. And uh, could you just talk through, actually, you've moved to a foundation. Yeah. What does that mean in terms of your ability to deliver things, in terms of the legalities of it? What, and what prompted the change? Yeah, I think we saw myself taking over in January as head of foundation and move into a new title as just a good opportunity to shout about what we do. I was saying to this to my staff, it doesn't actually change on the ground that much at all. What we do is fantastic. We've got good evidence behind it. What I need to do is I need people to know about it more so we can grow and develop. So that was one thing. It was like, it's a really good opportunity to showcase it a little bit more. Um, I think lots of football clubs are moving towards the foundation Um title lots of the premier league clubs so we're falling in line a little bit with that and yeah just being recognized a bit more worldwide as well is we haven't just got supporters from this this country so yeah it just we feel like we're opening up the all the support that we can get i think you've alluded to this already but what you've done as you've blown has blown us away how can we help you how can we help you get the word out there more than more than just you know people listening to this chat yeah how, how can we, we support what you're doing because because it's fantastic yeah, that's it. I think I was saying to you before we recorded, it's, yeah, it's, uh, my main job is to tell people what we do because I know what we do is good. I know it makes an impact. We've got that evidence now. We've got years and years of experience of it. We've got good members of staff that have now been here for quite a long time. That, that's almost the hard bit, isn't it, a lot of the time. So now my job is to get people like you to come and support by sharing our story um, yeah, meeting other businesses to tell them because they want to make an impact in their local community, don't they? That yeah. it's, it's part of their responsibility. They want to be related to a football club. So it's my job to get them involved in some way. Like I said, even if it's their volunteering hours on once, once a month, they'll then go and tell somebody else. <laughs> Our accountant's company that we now work with, she's now signposted us to somebody. It, you just, unless you're talking about it and on the front foot all the time and in people's faces... That's, that's how I think that's what we've been missing in the past, to be honest. We do really, really well at like gala dinner annually. We tell our stories and everybody in the room is tearing their eye when Bryson goes up and tells his story from not being able to walk to walk in. And majority of the time down to Phil and the work he's done with him. So how can we get, instead of having it annually, we shout about it. How can we have it in people's faces more? Is it in the football club world, linking with, the, with them and out to the fan base? Because they should definitely know what their football club is doing. They should be proud of what we're doing. 
Um, so for, for me, that's a big, a big target audience. And then, yeah, it's, it's partners for me as well. So yeah. I, I was saying to you about our growth in the health world and actually they are making an impact on preventing falls because they're working with over 50s, being able to walk and doing strength and balance and things like that. So getting partners to know what we're doing and it's evidence-based, I think that's the concern for some of the partners I've spoken to. It's like, yeah. okay, that's great you're putting all these programs on, but what, what impact is it having? How is that helping? So, yeah, yeah it's yeah. targeting the right people with the right information, if that makes Businesses don't want to know the same thing as the health authorities want to know, that the fans want to know. So that's the huge bit of work that I'm doing on the strategy at the moment, to be honest. I was going to ask about impact quickly, and I think okay. that is really key. How do you actually go about that? Because that is, I work for a charity and, and myself, and it's impact is everything. But how, yeah. How, yeah, how do you go about that week by week to get to get the statistics you need and to ensure there's uh, that's right? And how many of you are involved in doing that as well? <laughs> um, yeah, there's different ways that we do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the one that's in our impact report that we did last last year, and we have just done the data capture for the one that's hopefully going to be out in November um, to, to measure the season just gone. So we again, we partnered with Evid Impact, who supported with the um, Theories of Change document. So he is fantastic. If anyone wants to like work with somebody that wants to em- demonstrate impact, he is fantastic. Um, so we literally have a three-week window where we go to all the programs and capture it through specific questionnaires um, to, to check on their happiness, their mental health, physical health, loneliness, all those kind of things. Are they physically more active than the average person because they're coming to our sessions? Possibly, because actually they come to seniors' lunch and then they're like, oh, I didn't know you did a wellbeing walk just down where I live. Or, <laughs> yeah. oh, I didn't know that my husband liked walking football. And then we've actually seen more males come into the lunches now because often it was sort of a, a natter type thing, but actually yeah. it's not because we're engaging the walking footballers. They come back on a Thursday to the stadium again, and it's like, oh, how come we don't get invited to the lunch? You can come to lunch if you want. <laughs> yeah, just pay and come and have a two-course meal and some bingo. So it is just, yeah, engaging with all the, the different people and getting them aware of, of it, to be honest. I can see um, how that would spiral. You can see how yeah. it spirals, but that, yeah. that doesn't happen unless yeah, we yeah. can get the, the impact with the individuals and tell the stories and... Get, get the buy-in first before it can grow. Because yeah. I think there is, like you've just acknowledged there, like huge growth in that area. Mm-hmm. The, the stadium isn't going to be big enough to hold over 100 people for seniors' lunch soon. But um, yeah, oh, that's, that, that's what we aim for. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's a nice problem to have, isn't Exactly. It? <laughs> so, you know, the passion you have is absolutely palpable. And it, that, that is such a huge thing that carries through. Mm. And you were, you were saying that earlier, the buzz it generates just ripples outwards. Mm. All credit to what you're doing, because I think it's great for the city. Great for the city that people from the outside, like myself, don't always engage with, mm. because we want to skirt over and go to all the glossy, shiny things. Um, thank you. Mm. I slightly <laughs> presumptuous, but thank you on behalf of the East of England, Cambridge, for everything you, you're doing here, because it's fantastic. I will be sharing when you... I might be a bit late to share your, 20, your previous strategy, but when you get your new one out, I'll certainly be sharing that Thank you. because I think people need to see what you've done in, in the last strategy and see where you are now because I, it's going to be a fantastic story to tell. It's, yeah. it's what you've done is amazing. Yeah, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the staff that we've got and been able to retain over the last five, six years. They've done all the groundwork. They're the ones that have got the relationships with the participants and making that impact. It's like, it was our job over this last strategy to demonstrate that impact. And, can, and now me to grow the communication and knowledge that we are here. We are here and we can support a range of different age groups for a range of different projects. 
So, yeah, that's very exciting for me now, having taken over for seven months I've been in Poster's Head. So, yeah, very exciting project for me to do moving forward. My huge thanks to Vicky for sharing the work that the Foundation do. I am hugely impressed by their exacting strategy with its emphasis on practical delivery. Do take a look. And if you're a professional sports team, it needn't be football, do visit our website at easternpromise.org.uk and get in touch through the contact feature. And my extra special thanks to Andrew Dubok, Eastern Promise's Chief Sports Correspondent, who travelled from Oxford to share his experiences and take part in the interview. It was an honour to have him along. And I'm sure, like me, you're hoping he'll join us again very soon. now Ah, autumn most enigmatic of the seasons where poets look wistfully at the leaves and contemplate their pumpkin spice lattes wondering which is the bigger mug the one that contains this molten, foamy, scented candle or them for buying it in the first place Alas, alas, we cannot answer that query. But what we can do is share your first glimpses of autumn in another all-conquering... Crowd Sorcery. And first of this week's Acorns of Awesome is Cat Downs, conference and events coordinator, who shares both a look ahead along with a cheeky plug. Ahem, says Cat... Work-wise, it's incredibly busy at the University of East Anglia as we say goodbye to summer conferences and welcome new students during Welcome Week. Open days are in full swing and, of course, sink the city. It's followed pretty quickly by the children's Christmas lecture. Cat adds, I need to try and remember to take a breather. So when I can, I like walking in blustery winds and grabbing a drink at North Sea Coffee in Cromer. A real treat is heading into the city on a day off and soaking up autumn colours from atop the marketplace in Memorial Garden with food from that fabulous market. Then I collapse in a heap and wait for January. That sounds like a plan, Cat. Meanwhile, Christine Joyce, Senior Business Development Advisor for International In-House Lawyers, Cambridge, Oxford and Life Sciences from our very good friends at Mills and Reeve. Christine offers a true taste of the season with misty mornings along the river at Sutton Galt, walking the energetic Labrador. Not too energetic, I hope, Christine. Otherwise... <coughs> oh, dear. Top bloke and friend of the show, Tarquin Bennett-Coles, advisor for Little Bean Journey pro bono mentor for the Homerton Changemakers and careers in healthcare supporter for the MBA and EMBA students at the Judge Institute. He's another who favours a waterside look at the season. Says he, A walk along the backs in the city or the cam towpath towards Milton sets a nice tone. My favourite is the lesser known but lovely public footpath behind Teversham. The route transports you from an enclosed Hobbiton path to an expanse of open fields 
magnificent skyscapes, and a water oasis for thirsty migrating birds. You are surrounded by nature, the autumnal colours, the sounds of the competing bird songs, and you're left with a calm feeling that you are a small part of a much bigger world. Hashtag autumn is here. Up pops Cat Downs again. Who approves? Oh, I'm going to have to try this next time I'm in Cambridge. More friends of the show here. Dr Tammy Dugan, Life Sciences and Healthcare Partnerships Lead at the University of Cambridge, points out one of the highlights of the UK's capital city of science. Had a lovely visit to the Cambridge University Botanical Gardens. Spectacular colours this time of year. Always good to grab a coffee and a cake at the same time. No arguments here. You can find out more about the gardens at www.botanic.cam.ac.uk. It is a truly lovely spot. Thoroughly recommended by me too. Thank you, Tammy. Kicking himself is the aforementioned Tarquin Bennett Coles, who says, of course, how did I miss that one? Or indeed, Anglesey Abbey. Anglesey Abbey, also a favourite of mine at this time of year, as is the seafront at Sheringham in North Norfolk, where I recommend a hot drink in the Welt Coppers as the North Sea pounds the shore. And that is all there was for episode 82 of the Eastern Promise podcast. Get in touch to share your thoughts, ask a question, or offer feedback by emailing me at mike at easternpromise.site or go to the website easternpromise.org.uk and use the contact function to get in touch. The Eastern Promise podcast will be taking a very short break whilst I get out there and interview some incredible people, including Waveney MP Peter Aldous, and recording parts three and four of our special ongoing look at how the Norfolk Brex can support growth in Cambridge, focused on the offer of commercial and light industrial space at Snetterton. It only remains for me to thank Vicky Neal and the Cambridge United Foundation all at the Galfred School for their warm welcome. My old partner in crime, Andrew Dubok, all my crowd sorcerers, and most of all, you. I'm truly grateful and not a little bit amazed that you're listening. Do join me again on the 1st of December when my guest will be Professor Andy Neely, Senior Pro-Vice-Chancellor for Innovation and Business Relations at the University of Cambridge. We'll also be dropping in on the Norwich Bioscience Institute's Accessible Science Talks, and chat with Professor Ben Garrod, one of our region's great communicators of science and discovery. All that to come on the 1st of December, and I look forward to having your company. No pressure. Until then, bye for now. To hear other episodes of the Eastern Promise podcast, and to find out more about what we do, go to our website at easternpromise.org.uk
Eastern Promise is a Priors Croft production in association with Mills and Reeve. Achieving more together.